This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Don't change that dial. It's time for Navigating the Newsroom. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Andrew. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to Navigating the Newsroom with Andrew and Andrew. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Andrew Robinson. And this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted to discussing the new HBO series, The Newsroom, created by Aaron Sorkin. And this is our first quote-unquote real episode of the show. Uh, we've already put up a short introduction where you can learn a little bit about us, and, uh, and we, we explained what the format of the show is going to be. But today we're actually going to be talking about the pilot episode of The Newsroom, which aired this past Sunday. It was an episode titled, We Just Decided To, and it was the country's first real look at what the newsroom is going to be. So, Andrew, why don't you give our listeners a brief recap of the episode? So, this week, with the show being its introduction, we're finally seeing Will, the, as they put it, Jay Leno of News Anchors, sitting there quietly trying his best not to interrupt anything that's occurring around him until eventually he is pushed and we get the wonderful breakdown that we saw in all of the trailers coming up to this show. It jumps right after to three weeks later with him coming back from vacation to his staff being gone and his executive producer having jumped ship to a later show. The head of the news division has hired... Behind Will's back, a new executive producer, played by Emily Mortimer, the character of Mackenzie, who it's shown she is a old flame for Will, and we get this whole dialogue into who Will was, and we see his reaction to this. The main news that we'll be following in this episode has to do with the BP oil spill of two years ago. And I think that's enough of a recap to get us into the episode. The only thing I would have to add is that uh, there's a character named Maggie, played by Allison Pill, who started off as an intern, was promoted to Will's assistant, and in this episode is promoted to assistant producer. Accidentally and then intentionally. Yes. Uh, She is in a relationship with the former executive producer of the show, Don, played by Thomas Sadowski. And when the new executive producer, McKinsey, shows up, she brings with her a guy named Jim Harper, played by John Gallagher Jr., who it's implied might have a crush on Maggie, and who sort of saves the day with his brilliant handling of the BP oil spill news story. It's thanks to his resources and his hard work that the team is able to come together and put together uh, a really great show breaking the BP oil spill story. So, Andrew, let's start things off with you. What did you think of this pilot episode of the show? Did it live up to your expectations, or were you disappointed? This has been quite a divisive show. Uh, The opinions from critics are definitely mixed. So which side did you come out on? Um, I have to say that this show definitely paid off for me about three quarters of the time, to be honest. And it has to do a lot with what we want to discuss later, our main topic 
um, to discuss in this episode. I made it known that I had not been much of a Sorkin TV um, fan to the point of coming into this show. I had come more from his film, his film history. And what I love so much about him is the rhythm of his his style of writing and the way that it's delivered in films and television, the rhythm that it gives off and how sometimes it can be played for comedy, sometimes for drama, sometimes just for overly wonderful monologuing. And for three quarters of this show, you have that down pat from the opening scene of Jeff Daniels telling this college girl that she doesn't know half the things she needs to know in this world in order to realize that spouting off such a cliched statement as America is the greatest nation in the world, as I'm pretty sure every American feels they need to say about America, and if you haven't guessed already, I'm not American and I'm not within America, so I have the luxury of knowing this without having to automatically say that just because you're American. And I apologize to anyone listening out there who is smart enough to know that that isn't an automatic statement and there's a lot more factors going into it other than nationalism. And you even go on further into you get the first time that we move into the newsroom, we have this weird moment with Don and Maggie talking over Neil. Um, actually, we probably shouldn't even say his name yet because you don't find out his name until like halfway through the episode. And that's a nice little gag that runs. <laughs> um, right. And you get this weird camera style, which makes it obvious that we're going to be dealing with a lot of handheld filming technology where it's obvious that the DP isn't holding it steady on purpose. He's zooming in and out just because it's kind of like you're on a, you're a fly on the wall in the room and you're like, oh, there's something interesting over there, and you're just zooming in a little bit to see what's happening and stuff like that. In that vein, the show paid off for me. But at the same time, when you get to the meat of the matter, I feel like the show might have diverged into a realm that made it difficult for people to really be engaged by it during that that last 20 minutes of the episode and i'm gonna leave that for a little later okay so you'd say that you were entertained and fully on board for the first two thirds and then it was that last third that kind of was a bit iffy for you it definitely it definitely left me wondering whether it was worth my time at that point. Because when you're dealing with a show which is telling you something that you already know, it really needs to work very hard to keep you engaged. Okay, so you're talking specifically about the presentation of the of the BP oil spill. Okay, yeah, which is why I was kind of delaying that whole bit. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. Um, in a little bit. I, I also have a few hesitations when it comes to that, and uh, and also about the very end of the episode, which, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, personally, I'm on board with the, sh- with the show so far. On the whole, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I'm going to keep watching. Obviously, I have to keep watching because we're doing the show. But even if we weren't doing the show, I would still keep watching. With that being said... I can definitely understand a lot of the criticisms that have been thrown 
at this show. And a lot of the critiques have been quite brutal if you, if you read some of these uh, reviews. And I can totally see where they're coming from. But I'm not yet at the point where they, it, it, they, it's annoyed me to such an extent that I'm not on board with the show anymore. So we'll see how the show develops and, and, if it, and how that continues. Um, one thing I, I really want to point out is that if, if people out there have seen Aaron Sorkin's TV work and the stuff that he's done on TV in the past... In many ways, I think the newsroom is going to feel a little bit like Aaron Sorkin's greatest hits. I mean, there's a lot of elements and a lot of subplots that we've seen in some of his his other shows. The fact the the, the Will McKenzie sexual tension is very similar to the uh, tension that existed between Matt and Harriet on Studio 60. The budding relationship, well, it's implied there will be a budding relationship between uh, Jim and Maggie, and that reminded me a lot of the relationship that develops between uh, Jeremy and Natalie on Sports Night. And maybe it's because Aaron Sorkin has done now three shows about TV production. (laughs) That could be why they feel so similar, but... There are so many things that just feel a bit like, you know, we've seen this before from Aaron Sorkin. I do like how you've got Sam Waterston playing uh, Charlie Skinner, sort of the, the, the head of the network here. And he reminded me a lot of the Robert Gulami character from Sports Night um, in the sense that he's basically kind of like this wise mentor who, you know, wants the show to be the best it can be. And we actually find out by the end of the pilot episode that he engineered all of this, these staff switcharounds in the hopes that a great new show would be the result. He even has a line, I think, about how he'd rather make a really great new show for 100 people than a, an average or terrible new show for a million so in that respect, he did remind me of the Robert Gulami character from Sports Night. He's just drunk all the time, which was an interesting uh, change. And it'll be interesting to see if, if that plays a role in his development in future episodes. Is he an alcoholic? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. What did you think about that? Oh, he's, he's definitely an alcoholic. And ju- just as a slight correction so the internet doesn't get against you, that, that line was from Mackenzie, not oh, I, Charlie. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. Because we know how the internet is against mistakes. Right. <laughs> the, the internet understands, I'm sure. <laughs> here, here, here's a weird thing. Okay. Do you watch The Office? I've watched the British Office. I have. N- I've watched. I haven't watched more than one episode of the U.S. Office. Okay, well, American audiences will, who have seen the Office will be very familiar with the first few seasons of the Office, in which you've got the secretary Pam, who has a boyfriend, but then there's also this guy Jim in the Office who is in love with Pam, and eventually they form a relationship. And in the Office. Jim's name is Jim Halpert. And here in the newsroom, we have this guy, Jim Harper, who is the new guy who shows up and has a crush on uh, this, this, uh, this character who, you know, she's, she's not very high up on the ladder. 
I guess you, she's an associate producer. How dare you say <laughs> she is now? But like, I guess you could say, in, you know, she was Will's assistant, uh, which is almost like a secretary. And, and, you know, Pam on the U.S. office started off as a secretary. So I just kept having flashbacks to the office. And I was like, Aaron Sorkin, why did you name this character Jim Harper, which is so <laughs> close to Jim Halpert? Was that a conscious decision? Were you intentionally saying, you know, yes, this is a subplot. This this romantic entanglement has been done before. You know, it just kind of struck me as odd that it would be that close to something else. Um, so, But I, I don't know. I don't know if that was intentional or if it's just a coincidence. Is it wrong that at this point in time, all I can think about is at the end of the episode when um, Mackenzie is miming to Jim and Jim just eventually looks at her and goes, I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Where she's obviously going, you should go and like get that girl because I want to create some form of office romance for us right to enjoy right <laughs> let me ask you what did you what did you think of the cast because that was one of the the big selling points i think for the show that hbo has really been touting is that they've got this really great ensemble cast i mean you've got jeff daniels emily mortimer allison pill uh sam waterston what what did you think of all the performances well i uh... I liked a lot of the performances. I mean, the only one on the cast list that that I'm worried about is the one we didn't see this week, which we talked about in the preview episode. Olivia Munn. Olivia Munn. But I'm going to leave that away. Um, I loved all of the cast in this episode. I'm almost curious as to why we didn't get to see more David Harbour as Elliot. I, I kind of want to see a, a war of 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock. <laughs> at one point in this in this show maybe maybe he'll pop up again in the future maybe he'll pop up again in the future and i'm very curious as to whether don is going to actually leave in 2 weeks or he's going to be like or noticing that thanks to bringing back mackenzie this show is worth staying with i have to say i was a little bit surprised by how they've characterized this this main protagonist will mcavoy you know we're used to seeing Jeff Daniels is kind of this naive, nice guy, you know, whether it's, uh, I, I think the guy, his name was Harry in Dumb and Dumber, or even going back to something um, like the Purple Rose of Cairo, where he was just this kind of fish out of water. We're, we're, we're used to seeing him play these really kind of pleasant people but Will McAvoy... You, uh, hold on, sorry. Are you talking about the movie in which he tricks paying customer to get his character to go back into the movie so he can go back to Hollywood and make a billion dollars? Oh, wait, I can't... Is that what happens? It's been a while since I've seen that movie. <laughs> I just remember he, he comes out of the film and he's kind of this... No, no, the character comes out of the film. Right. The actor comes back from Hollywood That's to trick true. the... <laughs> I had forgotten about that. <laughs> I saw that movie like around, like around a month ago for the first time. That's why it's fresh okay. in my mind. <laughs> well, I was just surprised at how cold the character of Will McAvoy is. You know, he seems very angry. He seems just like he doesn't enjoy people at all. 
And that's because he thinks they're all idiots. Well, he thinks they're all idiots. And at one point, Sam Waterston implies that he used to be a nice guy, but ever since this terrible breakup or whatever happened with McKinsey three years ago, that's when he stopped being a nice guy. You, you really, he's just really comes across as just a, a real jerk to everybody. Um, and even McKinsey, who obviously there, you'd, you'd expect there to be some tension there. It's almost verging on unprofessional <laughs> the way he deals with, with some of these people. And I, you know, I don't know if it's because he can get away with that because he runs the show. But you know, I, I was just really struck by how Jeff Daniels was not nice at all. I mean, this is not a character I would want to hang out with. You see, you see, here lies the difference between me and you. I see, I see the difficulty it would be in working with Will McAvoy in a professional standpoint. Um, however, I kind of take the point to one of when he's having a bit of a moment when he's realized all of these things has happened since he's gone off on vacation, where he basically calls his former EP Don uh, an asshole. And all of these wonderful things. And when he finds out that people thinks he's a horrible person, his only retort is, I'm affable. Right. To say that he's such a wonderful person. People enjoy his company. And the truth of the matter is me watching, this, me watching the newsroom, I do consider him affable. I consider him to be a, want, a wonderful character for me to enjoy watching. And the kind of person I would want to hang out with just because if I was sitting down in the middle of that room and just watching him go off on tirades with Don, with Maggie, with Mackenzie, I would be in the corner of the office laughing at it all. And that just might be a, a judgment on me as a person. <laughs> I think if, if you just go by that first scene in which he's basically, quote, speaking truth to stupid, in which he's giving his opinion about America and why it's not the greatest country, and he has this great monologue. You know, if, if it's just that, then I want to say, oh, you're a smart guy, you're saying what you think, I like you. But over the course of the episode, he just becomes so cold. He, even, he, ha he doesn't have the ability to compliment people or do anything nice he can only do it sarcastically like at one point he even tells McKenzie I forgive you let's let the past be the past I forgive you and then it turns out he's being sarcastic and he doesn't really forgive her at all and she really has to fight him for any sort of power or for any sort of professional control um, and she finally you know gets lets him know you know from 8 to 9 o'clock, I'm in control. But even after they have that great show where everything goes super well, he kind of cuts her off again, and he puts up that wall, and he doesn't want to deal with her anymore. It, he just struck me as so cold. He's just so guarded that I was kind of... I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm interested in him as a character, and I want to see how he is developed, but I don't find him very likable, and I don't think that we're supposed to find him very likable at all. Okay, so so here's a question. Where in this episode was he cold when he was not talking to Mackenzie? I think it's the just the fact 
that well one he does it's been weeks and he's you know he still has trouble remembering people's names and that's kind of played for comedy but it to me it also struck me as a sign that he doesn't really give a damn about the people around him and you know through his conversations with uh don obviously he still holds a grudge because don is leaving to go work on the other show he holds a grudge from 15 minutes ago. That that was something that happened 15 minutes ago. He, ever anyone in that situation is going to show a level of petulance, and especially for a character like him, that's expected. That's not cold. That's that's complete opposite of cold. That's ridiculously emotional. He strikes me as the type of character though who once you cross him, he's not going to forgive you and he's not going to ever let you off the hook. And you're going to have to fight very, very, very hard to get back on his good side. And he doesn't strike me as the kind of character who likes being around other people any more than he has to. You know, he'll go to work and deal with these people because it's his job and he gets paid a lot of money. But I don't think he actually enjoys their company. And I, I, I don't think he enjoys even the company of uh, uh, Sam Waterston's character, Charlie Skinner. You, I mean, you can tell he respects the guy, but I don't think he really likes being around him. I disagree completely because we have to go back to the reason why, or at least the reason we are believing that Will McAvoy lashes out and has this tone, this sarcastic tone about almost everything he's saying, it's because he believes everyone around him is stupid, or at least stupider than he is, right? So he has that tone to him. He doesn't need to know anyone's name because guess what? They're idiots. They are the people who say America is the greatest nation in the world without thinking about that thought. So what happens in this episode, Mackenzie comes back, of course he's going to be cold to her because she broke up with him three years ago and he's been a dick ever since, right? Watterson, he's going to be angry with today. Why? Because he hired Mackenzie behind his back. Don, he's going to be angry with today. Why? Because he jumped to 10 o'clock. No, where you see the difference and where you see it obvious that he not necessarily doesn't like to be around people, what he doesn't like to be around is stupid people. No, but these people, the, these people aren't stupid. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying these people are, 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 are generally stupid. He just considers them stupider than he is, right? Because he's an arrogant Right, right, exactly. <laughs> right. He is. That's what I'm saying. He thinks he thinks everybody is beneath him. He thinks everybody is stupider than he is, and he doesn't want to deal with that. He hates people, and he doesn't respect anybody. However, the moment Jim Harper actually steps up and shows that he has a level of intelligence and ability, the conversation stops being ridiculously sarcastic. It stops being petulant, and it becomes a professional give and go right there. That is true, but only for an hour. <laughs> you know, it seems to me like he, he obviously he's 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 been doing his job long enough that he's good at his job. You know, he can recognize talent and he knows what needs to be done to produce a good show. But I don't think that that the fact that he can be professional when he when it's required means that he's a nice guy or that he's likable. And getting back to this whole idea of everyone else being dumber and the world being full of stupid people and, and he not liking stupid people, I can definitely understand 
the criticism that a lot of people have towards this show in that it basically feels like Aaron Sorkin getting up on a soapbox saying, you're all idiots, here's what I think, and here's the way things really are and really should be. I, You know, while, while there's a part of me that is on board with that and like, yeah, you go, Aaron Sorkin, you you tell those dumb conservatives or there's those dumb liberals how it is. There's another part of me that's just kind of like, can't you be a little nicer about it? <laughs> Maybe that's just me. <laughs> but, y- y- you know, I do think there is something a little bit off-putting about this sort of arrogant sense of, you know, I'm better than you that the show seems to be uh, presenting. That, I feel, is something that people generally will always take issue with because they don't want to hear that. No one wants to hear someone say, I'm better than you. Why? Because we are all told we're special and we're all better than everyone else. We're, we're all special and unique. So no one is better. We're just all different. Um, so when someone gets up and basically prove, somewhat proves that they're better. Why? Because in this department, I can tell you that I know more than you. Whether it's a math test, an English test, science test, or the fact that I read the bloody news, I'm better than you. Which comes back to the original, the beginning of the show being America's the greatest country in the world. As I said, saying that without having anything to back it up. Which is what I kind of feel the entire of America does a lot of the while. Well, th- this could work as a as an interesting segue, I think, into our main topic, which is about the use of, of real life news in the show. Because here's the thing, um, you know, th- I think Sorkin has kind of tried to present this as an apolitical show, like the like the news is supposed to be. The news is supposed to be quote unquote objective. So Will McAvoy says, you know. He's not. He's he's a moderate Republican, but he his his main goal is just to quote speak truth to stupid. He's not going to take a necessarily a a party line, but given Sorkin's background and given Sorkin's views, I think it's a lot of what McAvoy ends up saying on his new show that's supposed to be quote unquote the truth is going to be what a lot of audiences would automatically look upon as the quote-unquote liberal side of things or the more left-wing side of things. Um, and that maybe that won't happen. And, you know, for someone like me, politically speaking, I tend to lean towards the left. So I tend I agree with it. But on the other hand, you know, I, I feel like if, if you are going to take, you know, that this – in some sense, a party line. And if you are going to really bash conservatives and make conservatives look stupid, then, I, I don't know, I, part of me just feels like you can be nicer about it. It's not going to really get people talking or really do anything to inspire discussion if uh, it's basically just Aaron Sorkin, diehard liberal, saying, I'm right and everybody else is wrong and you're all idiots. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but the the political angle of this show, I, I feel, can almost be ignored in some respects. I don't know, I don't know why it bothers you at all. 
it bothers me in the sense that okay, well here's the thing. You've you've got this is supposed to be a critique of modern news and you know he, uh Will and Charlie Skinner, they keep talking about, oh, you know, it's not unusual for news anchors to have an opinion. Go let's go back to Cronkite, let's go back to Murrow. This is that and in and, and those days, you know, holding an opinion was a really good thing. But if you look at the state of television news nowadays and the fact that it's 24-hour news and you've got Glenn Beck and you've got Bill O'Reilly, you've got Keith Olbermann, who many would say Will McAvoy is based on, on all the time mixing in their opinion with the news, there are a lot of people that say that's not a good thing and that's led to the United States being a more polarized country, politically speaking, and that you know the, the, the news really shouldn't be like sports. It really shouldn't be this form of entertainment where you just pick your favorite team because they say the thing that you agree with. And, and, and granted, we've only seen one episode of the show, but from what we've seen of the pilot, it seems like it's promoting this idea of Will McAvoy giving his opinion on the news as a good thing and as a positive thing. And I think for every time in which you could say, yes, that that has been a good thing, there's a million other times when you could say, well, it hasn't been a good thing when it comes to TV news. It's not always a good thing when TV personalities give their opinion, because a lot of times they're wrong. So is, is, so is Will McAvoy just going to be this perfect television anchor who never gets anything wrong? Or, or I'm a bit concerned, is all. Well, first of all, on the whole idea of opinion in within news, I don't think of it as a problem conceptually, because as far as I'm concerned, as a viewer, you should be able to discern the difference between fact and opinion. They, you should be able to listen to the news and hear, the fact is 20 people got shot, the opinion is it was for a good cause. If that's what the news was and that's what the anchor said. But I, but I don't know because so often I think, especially nowadays, news tends to be slanted and how, it, and how those facts are presented tend to be slanted right or left. I mean, it's just pretty much a well-known fact at this point that if you watch Fox News, you're going to get the more conservative right-wing take on the news. And if you watch MSNBC, you're going to get the more left-wing take on the news. And, I, you know, I'm not sure that that is a good thing, at least to the extreme that we have nowadays. I mean... Sure, Will McAvoy may be, quote-unquote, speaking truth to stupid, but don't Glenn Beck and Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity and uh, Keith Olbermann, you know, don't they all say the same thing, that they're, quote-unquote, speaking the truth? And a lot of the times they aren't. They're giving their opinion um, and presenting it as truth. So I'm, I'm worried that the show is going to be a bit hypocritical and that it's going to... It's, it's going to criticize the state of modern TV news while also really presenting this idea of opinion journalism as a very positive thing. I can see how that would be a problem in the hands of a journalist who is a lesser journalist, who is someone who doesn't know, who, who, who doesn't really know how to separate the two. 
how to make sure the news is presented in such a way that people can tell the difference. And at the same time, I see it being a problem with viewers who, rather than sticking to the facts, just copy someone's opinion. I don't know if you saw this film, which was released earlier this year, um, God Bless America. Yes. The newest film by Bobcat Goldthwait. He he was very heavy on that, that aspect of people not so much understanding what was happening in the world and creating their own thoughts based on it, but rather just repeating the opinions of those news anchors and those talk show hosts out there who were talking about these facts that they were then repeating from other people. There's so many there's so many websites, so many blogs, so many podcasts that and so many new we're going to take away from the, the what people like to call the new age of media. So many newspapers, so many um radio hosts, so many television news anchors who instead of actually saying x y and z happened and even to go to the length of saying, I think this, they don't say that. They said, I read in the newspaper later, earlier today that this um, columnist said this about this piece of news. Do you think he went too far? And that whole idea of the news being presented is a ridiculously um, skewed version of the news. But I don't think Will McAvoy presents that version of the news. I think he presents the much more pure version of the news. Yes, he might be a bit opinionated. He might... But even even if you're looking at what we saw today in the BP um, news hour, uh, we... W- how much opinion did we see in there other than him telling uh, an interviewee every once in a while, please answer the question I'm asking you? Well, I mean, we'll we'll see where how it develops. Um but I, I'm a little bit concerned, and we, we need to move on to our main topic. Um, but real quick, I, I, all, I, all I'll say is I did see God Bless America. I hated it, um, even though I pretty much agree with Goldthwait's so, sociopolitical views. I hated the movie, and I'm, I'm, it's that, that's actually a good example. I'm worried the newsroom could become God Bless America, where it's basically just an angry liberal screaming – and saying you're all stupid, and being such a dick about it that I wind up hating him for it, <laughs> even though I agree in a in a weird way. But we should move on to our to our main topic, which is the fact that this show, The Newsroom, it takes place two years ago. So so we're going to be dealing with real life news that we've already seen. Ah, I have really mixed feelings about this. On the one hand, I thought it was really great in the pilot to see the team come together and report on the BP oil spill in a really in-depth, up-to-date, investigative manner. On the other hand, this is basically wish fulfillment. This is retroactively looking back and going, huh, wouldn't it have been great if the news had been reported this way? And while that feels good to watch, I do think it is a bit disingenuous in the sense that lots of outlets covered the BP oil spill, and lots of them worked very hard at it. And the whole idea of the, the whole issue of you know Halliburton's role and the testing of the stuff of, of the stuff that didn't come to light day one. 
you know, that took a lot of time. A lot of these details took weeks to investigate and research and come to light. And while it's nice to watch a TV show in which there's this magical news team who can get to the bottom of all of this in a matter of hours, that's not how things work in the real world. And I think it's almost, it's it's kind of insulting to real-life journalists who worked really hard to investigate that to suddenly say, oh, you guys didn't do it fast enough or you guys didn't do it well enough. Andrew, 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 I think you're missing the point. Didn't you see his sister works for BP? He has the, he has the inside line. You, 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 you're, you're, you're missing the point here. That's, that's he, the other he, thing. He got lucky. It was built on so many coincidences. I was like, really? You happen to have two magical sources there in your phone? That's quite a coincidence. Don't worry. Next week, Maggie will get the phone calls. (laughs) Yes. Next, you know, whenever um, another major disaster happens, it's going to turn out that Dev Patel's character, Neil, you know, his his cousin is actually directly involved or something. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, I was just I I enjoyed it. While I watched it, it made me feel good to see this news team come together and and report the news well. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm going, uh, this is kind of insulting to real-life journalists. And I, part of me wishes that Sorkin had done what he did in shows like Sports Night in the West Wing uh, and Studio 60, where, where he crafted these conflicts and these events that you could tell were based off of real-life events, but they were fictional. And they had their own situations and their own circumstances. And I think, honestly, that that's probably the better way to do things. But, but I don't know. What, what did you think about the whole, uh, the whole idea of using real-life news and reporting on real-life news that happened two years ago? First of all, I can't wait until the end of the season when we find out that somebody's brother-in-law got jacked and is on a pirate ship. Out in... In Somalia. (laughs) Yeah, right. I can't wait for that, because that's going to be brilliant. Um, I I took issue with that whole... With all of that last... All of that, like, 15, 20-minute chunk of the news broadcast. Not because of any form of insult that it had towards real journalists. I kind of... I didn't worry about that aspect of it because sometimes you have to give television a bit of a leeway in how they try to bring things together really quickly because they really have to meld a lot of plot lines together to um, fruition within a 60-minute gap. And sometimes that takes a lot more guesswork than you can imagine in the script process. My problem with that with that chunk of the show is that I felt that Sorkin, it's either one of two things. He feels, and this this therefore would prove your greatest fears about this show, that I am so stupid as a viewer that I didn't know that the BP oil spill even happened. So he has to tell me. And if that's what's happening, then I'm really worried for this season because then it's going to be a case of an episode to episode. You didn't read the newspaper on eight, on May 25th, 2010, so I'm going to tell you what was in there. But what I feel is the 
biggest travesty that that whole segment of the show gave me was the fact that it decided to, to undercut any form of character development that we could have gotten during that time by having dated news presented to me. And it's not even that interesting. I mean, the news is an interesting thing, but it's not even that groundbreaking an event. <laughs> I don't even know how to say this without sounding like I'm saying, yes, all of those things that died in the water and screwed up so many businesses within the span of oh, almost a year that it took them to deal with this travesty. Um <laughs> doesn't matter that much in the world rather than me watching Will McAvoy shout at people in his office. (laughs) (laughs) But that's kind of what I want. I wanted the the store, the inner workings of the office of the newsroom. Like, when you look at a show like Mad Men, you know that it's about advertising in the 50s. And yes, every few episodes you'll see that they're working on a cigarette company. They're working on Heinz. They're working for Jaguar. But you never really see them spend a solid 15 minutes going, I have to think up a tagline for Jaguar, and then we get to actually watch the advertisement that they created. No, we spend all of this time with character interaction and development. And why? Because characters are who we care about. Characters are why we watch television shows for six seasons. And all of this goes on. And I have a deep-seated fear that Sorkin is going to try his best to undercut all of that just so that we learn news two years old. That, that That's a good point. I mean, there, 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 it is possible that that is a legitimate fear that over the course of the newsroom, it's going to be such a screed against modern television news or it is just going to be Sorkin on a soapbox. It's going to be so much of that that he forgets to develop interesting characters. Now, to be fair, there was a little bit of character development. We did get to see Jim at his best, and the, we did get to learn that Jim has all of these contacts, and he's a he's a good worker to have on staff. We did get to see Maggie have her, her little moment where she tracked down the guy that they needed to track down and get him on the air. It was a great cameo by uh, Jesse Eisenberg there on the phone. Um, but other than that, you're right. There wasn't much character development explored during that segment of the show. It was basically, hey, let's get this news story out that most people probably are already aware of. Because the BP oil spill was a big deal. I mean, Twitter, even even if you didn't watch regular TV or print, you weren't reading the newspaper at the time, Twitter was on fire. Uh, with the, there was a South Park episode about it. Right, right. I mean, the BP oil spill, I, I'm pretty sure everybody knows at least that, that it happened. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the later news events that are covered in the show are as big as that, or if they're smaller news events that, as you mentioned, maybe a lot of people didn't pay attention to or didn't hear about. But I do think that 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 idea of character development and the fact that there wasn't much, I do think that that is a legitimate concern. And I also do think that a lot of the character development we got was a bit shoddy. I mean, as we already mentioned, it's a huge coincidence that Jim had those contacts, had those sources that he could rely on. And, I mean, come on, here we've got Neil. I I, I read one review, I can't remember whose it was. It might have been Scott Tobias's over at the AV Club. But but he pointed out that um, – I read a review that pointed out that, you know, when they ask Neil 
how do you know all of these things about the oil spill? Instead of saying, I, I know because I spent the last hour researching while you two assholes were arguing in your office, you know, instead of saying that, he just says, oh, I made a volcano <laughs> when I was a kid for a science project, and that's how I know? I mean, really? That's what you're going to go with, Aaron Sorkin? I agree with you. That's That, that last third of the show, while I enjoyed seeing everyone pull together, in the back of my mind, I was just like, oh, this, this isn't really working from a technical writing perspective. I, w- I will say, however, that I, I think it, you, it's a bit harsh for you to complain about this episode having shoddy character development overall, because which, which show have you ever watched in which its introductory episode is all about character development? We need to know, we need to figure out who these people are, and it takes a show at least two episodes to get that done before we get into a lot of evolution development that we expect from series like this. I guess that's true. And to be, I mean, the job of a pilot, I think, is to give us the bare bones basics of who each character is. And I feel like on the whole, this episode did do a good job of that, with the exception of Neil, as we mentioned, who at this point, all we know is that he's he's the Indian IT guy. No, no, no. He's not the IT guy. He just happens to have two monitors at his right. desk. <laughs> I was a bit disappointed that they didn't do more to establish him as a unique character and sort of break him out of these traditional stereotypes. We'll see if that happens later on in the show. Let me ask you, what did you think about the very end of this episode in which uh, Mackenzie is running after Will with her notebook and the implication is that she was there in the opening scene. She was the woman holding up the, the, uh, the signs and the, the paper that said, you know, America isn't the greatest country, but it can be. Um, what did you think about that ending? First of all, I don't believe that was an implication. I think that was a statement, right? She was the woman in the, in the stands egging on Will to have his, have his little um, monologue telling this college girl that she is pretty much the reason why America isn't the greatest nation in the world. What did I think of it? I thought it was kind of a good moment because it confirmed it for us, but at the same time, our character of Will won't have the the trouble of believing it's her. He can still think that he had a lucid moment on pretend vertical medication, which I just want to see the episode of Conan that night. Oh, right. <laughs> when that when that came out. I can just watch another 10 stand-up specials coming up that, that year where that, com- where that news comes out. Um, but I, I think it's, it's worth it because it shows that it gives us a bit more reasoning into why she decided to take the job. Because who would want to work with their ex who, while they believe can be the smartest and best news in the world, would give them this much stress in their life? Other than she already, before she got the job, she was already tracking him and possibly 
helping him towards something else. Maybe we'll find out later on in the show that this will develop into something more, something more tangible for her, somewhat of a resolution for how she felt about him three years ago and what happened. Because we see throughout the episode her talking about, I did something, I have recognized that I did something wrong, and I am sorry for that. Can you forgive me? I don't expect you to forgive me. All of these things she says throughout the episode. So... I kind of feel that that was a nice touch to the episode. Even better was Jeff Daniels remembering so clearly that day of the first time he met her father and taking her to the game. I I hated that last scene. I absolutely hated it. It left me with a sour taste in my mouth. It's just really unnecessary to confirm that she was there in the audience. Not only does it really add nothing to our understanding of who she is or to our understanding of who Will is, it just opens up so many unanswered plot threads like, okay, wait, if it was her, how come Will imagined it was, no, it was not her, it was this other random woman in the audience. Vertical. (laughs) You know, and if, okay, if it was her, how come she didn't bring it up until that moment? If it was her, I, I just feel like that it's just not necessary. It's not important. And I feel like it actually works better if it's if she wasn't there. What, she just happened to be to go to Northwestern to hear him speak? She doesn't need to be there to be inspired to work for him. It was national news. She, I'm sure she could have seen it on his, his, his monologue on CNN or on the, the internet and decided to work for him then. You know, I, I, I mean, it just felt really hackneyed to me. Okay, okay, hold on. So so do you think he would have had that moment at the university if if supposedly she wasn't yes, there? Yes, because it doesn't matter if she was there or not. What matters is that for an instant he was seeing her. She was in his mind. She, she I think I, it actually works better if she's not there. She's just this force in his life that he's not over yet that has caused him great pain, but also has the potential to bring out the best in him, which is what we got with the monologue. So when he when he saw her in the crowd or thought that he saw her, it was disorienting enough for that quote unquote true the true Will McAvoy to to come out. I actually think it works better if she wasn't there, and if we, we, we understand that she exists mainly just as this intangible thing in his life that he still has to deal with, and now she's working with him, and he's going to be forced to confront that, and he's going to be forced to deal with that. Yeah, that that whole last scene just felt really, really dumb <laughs> to me. It's like, oh, wait, so she was there all along and she still happens to have the notebook where she wrote the the thing on and it was just too much of, a, of an unnecessary coincidence. Well, when you think about it, I think both situations say positive things about the story because if it is a situation in which she wasn't there and he imagined her, then you are perfectly right in that he just has her in his subconscious and it somehow brought out the best in him. And then the coincidence of her taking the job brings it about in a strange, ironic moment. If it's a case of she was really there, then 
it's proof that she brings out the best in him, and it gives a little bit more reasoning as to why she would end up taking the job in the first place. I don't think so. As I'm saying, <laughs> who would want to work in that stress without having that tiny push knowing that she can influence him in this way? Uh, I guess, but then at the same time, I just want to know why was he imagining this other woman <laughs> there? Just as plausible as him imagining the real no, woman. No, no, because the real woman left a mark on his life and was an important part, is an important part of who he is as a person. Is it just that she was there, but he mentally didn't want to believe that she was actually there or couldn't comprehend how she could be there? So he made himself think that she wasn't. I mean, I mean, it just it. I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But we, we need we need to wrap up. We're 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 almost an hour into the show. One last thing I want to say: the title of the episode. I forgot to mention this earlier. We just decided to is a reference to a line that uh, Sam Waterston's character says to Will McAvoy at the end of the episode. You know, referring back to the quote unquote the good old days of journalism in which you know we produced quality a good high quality news show because quote unquote we just decided to and i was like wait 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 so you're saying that journalists nowadays don't decide to produce good news shows they aren't working hard they aren't trying to put on the best show that they can again that's a little bit insulting to, to to journalists i mean I I totally understand how you can criticize many elements of modern journalism and, and TV journalism especially. But to just sort of make this blanket statement of how, you know, I'm Will McAvoy and, or, or Charlie Skinner and things were better in the old days and nobody's doing it right nowadays. And, we, we, you know, because nobody has the drive. Nobody decided to do it right. That's just uh, – it's just – it's it's really a little bit offensive. Maybe it's because I'm a journalist myself, but I just kind of feel like uh, that's taking things a bit too far. And again, it, it goes back to that idea of Sorkin coming across as this kind of arrogant jerk who thinks everybody else is beneath him. So, so do you truly believe that today when I turn on CNN and I see anchors reading off tweets instead of actually getting confirmed stories to be a better scenario than what was happening 30 years ago. And I'm not claiming to say that 30 years ago there weren't journalists who were doing shit. I'm just saying that I feel that possibly this is a lot more prevalent today, especially in a 24-hour news environment that we live in today. I think that you could make that argument and on many in you know in many respects you'd be right but at the same time i drew i really don't like this idea of kind of idolizing this period 30 years ago as you know that was the golden age that was this great time i mean times have changed and for all of the bad stuff affecting news and journalism nowadays there's a lot of good stuff too you know the internet and social media you can argue have dumbed us down as a culture or have dumbed down the news but you could also argue that because of the internet and social media, we are a lot more connected and we are able to produce better news in many respects as a result of that. And, and it's just that I – and I also think the, the questionable part of that statement we just decided to – it's not so much that idea that 
news was better back then that offends me as much as it's the idea of news was better back then because they decided to make it better and they were trying. And if it's not good nowadays, it's just because we aren't trying hard enough. And I, I don't think that's the case. I think that there, sure, there's a, there's a lot of terrible journalists out there, but there are also a lot of journalists out there who are really doing their best to produce high quality news broadcasts. And it's a bit insulting to, to say to those people, oh, you just aren't trying hard enough. Um, I see what you're saying, but what you're saying stands on the premise that the good journalists are out there being insulted by the statement. But I would say that on a whole, especially like how we started out talking about the idea of news today being very skewed to, towards opinion, in that it is true that for the most part, a lot of the news that people are consuming today is quote-unquote bad journalism and it comes from the fact that people are trying too hard to muddle the water of fact and fact and opinion i remember this one thing which i think kind of works out well is that someone once said look if at the end of the day you can't get the story printed tomorrow we'll print the retraction and we'll sell the same amount of papers again Right. I, you know, that's obviously not a good philosophy to have towards the news. But as you just said, okay, again, going back to this whole idea of the state of journalism, you just said, you know, the, the merging of fact and opinion has quote-unquote muddled the waters in many respects. And yet again, as I said earlier, isn't that what Sorkin is doing here with Will McAvoy, having him give his opinion and mix it in a little bit with the facts? You know, we'll see, but I don't know. I, I Again, like I said, I'm, I'm on board with the show overall from this first episode, but in the back of my mind, there are these little questions that I have and these little things that are said that, that I'm, I'm really kind of unsure about. I'm really hoping this isn't just going to be 10 episodes of Aaron Sorkin on a soapbox saying, you're all idiots. Because while there are a lot of idiots out there, there are some good journalists that still exist, <laughs> believe it or not. And it's not fair, I think, to be so sweeping and to make such a broad generalization. But uh, I, I guess we'll see how it goes with next week's episode. Any final thoughts on this pilot episode of The Newsroom? I hope Aaron Sorkin continues to call me an idiot because I enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you are a bit of a masochist. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this week's episode of Navigating the Newsroom. We hope you enjoyed it. Please write in and let us know what you think. Do you think that Aaron Sorkin is just being a d or do you think that he's speaking truth to stupid and that that is a good thing? Write it and let us know. You can email us at navigatingnewsroom at filmgeekradio.com. Andrew, where can people find you online and where can people email you? Um, they can email me at andrewr at filmgeekradio.com. They can also find me on Twitter at gmanreviews and find all my other writings on gmanreviews.com. And also, I, I have text written write-ups of my newsroom recaps over at screeninvasion.com if you're interested. Okay, we'll definitely have to check those out. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can email me at andrew at filmgeekradio.com. That's Andrew without the R. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writerandrew. 
And you can find some of my writing at thekuleshoveffect.com and also at filmgeekradio.com on our blog section. All right, I I think that will wrap it up for uh, tonight's show. Until next time, good night and good luck. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!